Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast, or simply have an interest in sport, you've come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation, and a little bit of entertainment. Welcome to all our seasoned listeners and to our new ears as well. If I could bother you to subscribe to the show and or leave a review of the episode, it would be very much appreciated. It's the second week in February. We survived January and are barreling our way through this month with lots of exciting things going on in the background here at Try Talking Sport. I'm looking forward to making some announcements in the coming weeks, so stay tuned to the show and to our social pages. There are exciting developments unfolding. Did I tell you our weekly Facebook live shows are back every Tuesday night? Check them out on our Facebook page, catch up on some of the previous episodes or tune in live each week. Now, you may recall in the last podcast episode, I mentioned some goals I was setting myself. Well, one of those was to get back to some consistency with my running. And there's only one way to get the running mojo back, and that's to sign up to an event. So I am targeting the Athletics Ireland Irish Runner Virtual Run Series this year. 5K, 8 mile, 10 mile, one event per month in February, March and May. Now, registration is free and you have the option to purchase some race bits and pieces if desired. With the target clearly set now, I really have no excuse. If you fancy joining me, be sure to let me know that you have registered for an event. The collective suffering, I mean encouragement, will be totally motivating. Speaking of motivation, don't forget to check out our weekly Zwift spins with Oliver Harkin of Park Try and the crew at Team Ireland Cycling every Monday night, 7.30pm Irish time. Go hard, go easy, spin the legs or give it socks on the sprints. It's a fun spin with lots of chat and banter. Check it out on the Zwift calendar, Team Ireland, Try Talking Sport, Park Try, Social Spin. Our guest on this week's podcast, Joe Skipper, is most definitely not another average Joe. And this episode is far from our usual setup, but more on that in a minute. Joe Skipper is one of the best long distance endurance athletes in the world, reflected in his current seventh place on the PTO rankings. The winner of Ironman UK, Ironman Florida and Ironman New Zealand, he was 6th in the Ironman World Championships in Kona in 2019 and 7th in 2018. He is also the British 12-hour TT record holder, setting a blistering pace in the 2020 event to cover 325 miles on the day. Competing in his first triathlon in 2010, he has gone from strength to strength and steadily grown in stature and success since he took up the sport. With a multitude of podium finishes, course and race records, he has gone sub eight hours in multiple Ironman races. He has raced with and against some of the best athletes in the sport of triathlon and is getting faster and stronger in each year of competition. The journey to his success has been peppered with some disappointments along the way, but rather than throw in the towel, Joe has continued to embrace his passion for professional sport and chase his triathlon and cycling goals all whilst having fun and showing great resilience and determination in chasing that top step of the podium in sport. I mentioned this episode was far from our usual setup and that is the case in more ways than one. Firstly, we used Zoom instead of Skype to record the episode. Secondly, Joe's sporting story has been told on many occasions. So in this Not Your Average Joe episode, we don't focus on his results, watts, power or individual races. Instead, we chat about life in general, chasing performances he can be proud of and have some fun with the show whilst getting a super insight to the mindset, experience and lifestyle of a champion athlete. Thirdly, in having fun with this episode, Sean McFadden, race founder and race director of the Donegal Ultra 555, who is based in Dubai, set up the chat with Joe and joined the interview call live. Sean has been joining Joe and Sam Proctor for training whilst in Dubai and every so often, Sean interjects into the chat, adding another entertaining dimension to the show. Joe was doing the interview in his Dubai accommodation with training partner Sam in the room, so we also have some fun with Sam and his girlfriend Hannah in the episode. Watch out for Sam doing the washing up. Joe Skipper is not your average Joe, and certainly not another average Joe. He is dedicated, committed and more resilient than most. With many more great performances to come, watch this space because Skipper is reaching for the stars in sport and they are certainly within reach. Enjoy the show. Joe Skipper, thank you so much for joining me on the Try Talking Sport podcast. There's been great excitement that we have you on the show today. And you have been making us insanely jealous with your Instagram and your YouTube of your adventures in Dubai. So tell us, what's the story? How did you end up in Dubai? And how the hell are you? 
first of all thanks for having me on the show and um well how, how we ended up in dubai is um it's quite well it's a bit long-winded but basically uh, as everyone, as all your listeners will know who are from uh, the united kingdom that we went into lockdown in november so um couldn't go to the pool couldn't go to the gym everything like that and i thought back in november i thought well still plenty of time before the racing starts so there's no uh, stress really you know i'll just uh, cope with this one but then i thought once we get into december january time if we're still in lockdown then i'm going to have to go away somewhere else to train because with the lockdowns that we had earlier on the year you couldn't i couldn't swim so i've just missed out on so much swimming this year that i thought once we get to january you know i'm going to have to go somewhere where i can train properly for the upcoming races especially with um you know towards the end of the year when we had races going on properly um you know it's kind of like the uh, lights almost at the end of the tunnel you know you can see that race organizers are being able to put races on so um wanted to be able to prepare for them and do the best i can in training so over christmas time we ended up going into lockdown i was going to go away originally to spain to lanzarote had flights booked and then about three or four days beforehand spain uh put restrictions on uk um residents you know going in flying or getting a ferry to spain so that kind of put that out the window and then it was just a case of looking at different options and I was kind of like toying with the idea back in November about going to Dubai, but I didn't. And but I'd still had the contacts who I was in uh, speaking to from back then. So um, thought, you know what, I'll just give it a go, get books and flights to Dubai, and uh, we'll see what it's like for training. And yeah, it's been it's been great so far. Really pleased that I decided to come over here. So I see you've been having loads of fun with Sam Proctor, and uh, Sean McFadden has made it to the team as well, has he? Yeah, yeah, Sean's uh, Sean's kind of adopted us over here. <laughs> been showing us uh, everywhere, like where the good places are to go, uh, helping us with our training. He's been awesome. Like uh, when we've been doing some long runs, he's been coming out on the bike, handing out bottles and stuff and uh, talking to us about Ireland's biggest race, the uh, Donegal 555. The Donegal. Donegal, Joe, you're going to have to get it Donegal. right. Donegal. Donegal. <laughs> Um, yeah, we've been insanely jealous looking at all of your uh, your activities. Lots of our listeners will know who you are, Joe, but for those who are new to the show or maybe haven't heard of your sporting success so far, will you take me back to how you got involved in sport in the first place and maybe what led you to triathlon? And I know Lucy Gossage had a little part to play in you deciding to become a professional athlete as well. Yeah, so going right back, I kind of got into swimming and running when I was really young and uh, my dad was into cycling. This is probably going back to about, God, swimming and running from the ages of like seven or eight. And then when I was about 12, um, I kind of was like uh, doing all kinds of sports, you know, at that age, football, um, uh, racket sports, you know, everything, you know, what you'd normally do. And then kind of got to the age of 12. And I think my dad said to me, oh, you know, at Christmas, I'll get you a bike if you want and you can do a triathlon. And I was like, what is that? And then he told me and I was like, yeah, right. Sounds good. So then I did triathlons from about the ages of 12 till 18. And then when I went to university, I just stopped. I mean, it was nothing serious at that time. You know, it was just like doing a little bit of training with the athletics club, the swimming club, and then going out cycling with my dad, you know, just like just keeping fit, really. And then got into university and then cycling was a much bigger sport there. So I kind of got into cycling when I was at Essex Uni. This is back in 2008, maybe even 2007 now. And then did two years at Essex and then I went to Manchester and then at Manchester triathlon was a lot bigger there than what it was at Essex. And I kind of got a bit fed up of just cycling, doing one sport, you know, it was quite, sometimes it would get monotonous, especially in the British winter when you, you know, you get days of rain, especially in Manchester as well. So got into doing a triathlon at the end of one year of cycling, really enjoyed it, joined the local triathlon club up there. And there was lots of people my own age, you know, like young 20s um at first it was just really good for the social you know you'd go to training and then you'd go out and stuff like that afterwards and then it just kind of got more and more serious I guess like this is going back 2010 I think when I joined that I don't know how I got in touch with Lucy Gossage now off the top of my head I think it was because she was a local triathlete and she was at a race where I was or and I must have and I crossed paths and she said about you know you should enter a race as a pro they'll uh put uh, put you up and stuff like that you know if you do it and uh, you get some expenses paid and I was like well this sounds good especially being a student you know prices of triathlons aren't cheap so originally just tried to get into racing pro races at like the lower level ones not so much Ironman but back then there was like a lot of races in Spain and France that weren't Ironman or challenge branded races but you could get like some reasonable prize money you know if you won it you could get like a couple of thousands and then it would go down to like fifth or sixth place so if you finished like top five you'd cover your costs and you got to race so Started off doing them, did some Ironmans, I think, in that first year. 
like a few 70 point frees but you know you were kind of just like trying to scrape into the into the prize money then because they obviously had deeper fields and then uh, back in 2012 I got fifth place in my first full distance challenge Barcelona and um, at that time I was able to uh, go to a training centre over the winter in uh, October and uh, the guys would uh, like take care of our accommodation costs and to give us a little bit of money to like show people around on the bike but that enabled me to uh, train full-time especially with the money I got from Challenge Barcelona and that kind of led into 2013 and then um, during that year I got my first podium at an Ironman race which was Ironman UK did Florida at the end of the year um, and uh, yeah it's just got uh, it's just basically got a little bit better each year second place in Texas in 2015 which was my first kind of big breakthrough race because that was a regional championships and it was the first time I'd raced against some of the guys that had been competing on like a world stage like I remember Ben Hoffman being in the race at that time I don't think he finished on the run but he was like you know top five in Kona I think he might he may have been second in Kona the year before you know I think Andreas Raylett was in that race Matt Hansen he ended up winning it and once I kind of got second in that back in 2015 that was the result that made me think you know I can uh, I can do this like bit properly and also the prize money helped as well because then that enabled me to carry on training and racing full-time so that was kind of like the big turning point for me and a bit a massive confidence booster as well did you get the the bike course record in that race in texas as well yeah it was bike course record and it was um it was a four hour 10 bike split and at that kind of time like going back then there wasn't many bike splits that were low four hours like four and a half hour bike ride was pretty decent four hour 20 was really good and then a four hour 10 i think it was like at the time, like the second or third fastest bike split in an Ironman distance event, like of all time ever up until then. So that kind of got a lot of attention because I think fast bike splits in Ironman races always seem to get a lot more attention than like a fast swim or a fast marathon. So yeah, it really helped me get some publicity. And then that year was the first time I'd raced in Kona as well. And uh, I didn't manage to get in the top 10, but I think I was 13th but I was the youngest pro I think or second youngest pro in the race so you know at the time I think it was a pretty solid result I think actually Daniela Reef might have been the youngest pro in the race and then I was like the second uh, there's a lot of noise in the background there Joe is somebody doing the washing up ah uh, Sam you're joking aren't you he wouldn't do the washing up <laughs> you doing? Probably, probably getting more food if anything he's doing the washing up uh, so uh, Texas really put you into the spotlight, Joe, in terms of a name to watch out for in racing. But you had done really well in other races before that because you did win the British Middle Distance Triathlon uh, Championships. You also had done really well in Roth as well. Was that before or after Texas? That was after Texas. So I went to Roth the following year in 2016. Um, and, that, and my target there was to go under eight hours, like because at that point it hadn't been done by British athletes. So that was my first uh, time in, in Roth. Um, and then I've been back another two or three times, I think, since then. Love that race. The atmosphere is incredible. Have you been there? I have. I raced Roth in 2013. Well, when I say I raced it, I finished it. <laughs> so technically, I'm not an Ironman because um, I haven't actually done an Ironman. So um, I keep being told I'm not an Ironman. I need to pick one to do. Um, so I'm hoping with all my training during COVID, I might get to do an Ironman at some point in the future. Uh, but Roth is, is fantastic. It's an unreal race, an unreal atmosphere. You'll have to do Cork. I've heard that's an easy one. And sure, <laughs> who will call the athletes home if I do Cork? <laughs> Are you going to come to Cork? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't even know. What, I don't even think there's a pro field there this year. I don't know that now, but it is on the 15th of August. But I'm sure we could probably slot you in somewhere. You could go up against Brian McChrystal for the <laughs> fastest bike split. Wouldn't be the first time. Oh, uh, Give us a decent target, like I'll wipe the floor of him. <laughs> we might see Sean McFadden. Get someone in who's going to push us on the bike. <laughs> we might that's get more Sean... like it, yeah, we... someone, with a, someone with a bit of talent. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> Poor old Brian, he's a good friend of the show now. He won't like that. <laughs> <laughs> he's been a guest on the show as well, so he won't like that. Anyway, but hang on a second now. There's Sean's a challenge been... drop down. Maybe we get them, Sean McFadden, maybe we get Joe Skipper and Brian McChrystal to go head-to-head in the Donegal 555. Now, there's a race I'd like to see. Sean's been on harder wheels than Brian's, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I have to put in there. Brian said the same thing the last day. He said, Joe Skipper's been on harder wheels than yours, McFadden. He commented on Facebook. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. Bloody keyboard warriors. You can't get away from him, can you? 
I know they're terrible. Go all the way to the bar and they'll still find you. I know you did have a little bit of um, a dalliance with some keyboard warriors during the year as well, didn't you? They were giving out about you doing a big long cycle uh, on Strava. I got absolutely hounded um, by keyboard warriors. I did um, I did a long ride when, just when we went into lockdown. Uh, it was about 200 miles around Norfolk. Hardly any cars on the road at the time. Uh, lovely day. Got back. Was really pleased that I'd managed to, to do it, like tick the box, put it on there. And I got absolutely rinsed. I ended up having to delete my Strava account. But I'd been seeing quite a lot of negativity before that. Like there'd been other pro cyclists. Like I remember seeing Harry Tanfield. He got quite a lot of abuse for doing training. And there were some really angry people at that kind of time. And I just got absolutely hounded. Like literally within like 40 minutes. Like I, God knows how many comments I had. There was a lot on there. So I deleted it. And then I got absolutely bombarded on Twitter by people. And um, it's funny you should say that. Because some of the people that were giving me abuse um, and saying that they were going to stay in during COVID have completely changed their morals. Um, you know, some people are quick and easy to judge and they'll give you the abuse, but they're not, unless they're whiter than white, they need to, uh, you know, calm down. Jesus, like these people are two a penny, you know, they come at you from all sides. Anyway, to come back to more positive things about racing and training, um, you did do the 12-hour the TT race uh, during COVID 2020. Talk through that race and how you uh, managed to stay um, on the bike for 12 hours straight. Well, I'd actually done the 12-hour the year before. Um, so I had a little bit of experience um, from that. So I kind of knew what it was like and uh, whether or not I'd be able to hold my position for 12 hours. So that so going into the race this uh, well last year, 2020, um, I had a little bit of experience. And uh, at the time, I was actually in training for uh, Embra Man, which was kind of like 50-50 as to whether or not I was going ahead. You know, like you'd hear one thing that it was on, then they would say it was cancelled. And then like they kept telling us, you know, the race is probably going to go on, you know, keep training. But it wasn't until like a week before the race that we got told um, it wasn't on you know, it was going to be cancelled. So I was like, oh, you know, I, that's a bit of a blow, but I need something else to train for. So then it just happened that the 12 hour was about, I think, I think the 12 hours the week before. So it must've been like 10 days or two weeks before um, we got told the Ember Man was going to get cancelled two weeks before. So then the 12 hours a week before when Ember Man would have been. So that kind of opened it up because, you know, it's only 15 miles away from where I live. So you can, I can stay the night in my own bed, you know, it's a 20 minute drive. So that was how entering it came about. And also in 2019, I broke the British record. It got uh, DQ'd um, because I went wrong way in the course, but I knew I could do it because the conditions were pretty bad that year. So I wanted to come back if I got the opportunity. And uh, with what happened with COVID, like the uncertainty in races and Ember Man getting cancelled, that kind of opened the door for it. But staying on the bike isn't too bad. And to be honest, I would say that anyone that trains for like long distance triathlon, would do a very good 12 hour because you know we normally train on our tt bikes do like four hour five hour rides in it and i think if you can hold your position for four or five hours you can you're probably likely to do it for 12 hours because the intensity on the bike is less than what you would do for an ironman and also for an ironman triathlete you've got such a good idea about fueling you know like the fastest guys are out there for eight hours and the slower ones are out there for 16 hours so you know we're if you can fuel for eight hours, you just do the same thing, but just keep it going for an extra three or four hours. And if you're used to a 12 hour Ironman, then you just do the exact same fueling strategy as what you do. So it kind of like the experience you get from doing Ironman really sets you up. And to be honest, I would say that an Ironman is physically harder than a 12 hour time trial. Like the, the battering you get on the run and how hard it is to run the marathon off the bike is a lot harder than 12 hours physically. But the mental aspect of the 12 hour time trial is what really, uh, kind of bites you because you get three or four hours in you start feeling a bit of fatigue and then you know you're not you've still got another eight hours to go and you're on you know you're on obviously you want to try and stay on the tt bars as much as you can because every time you sit up you're just like losing time and uh you don't get to see really other people because of the time trial start you know you might see people occasionally but not really to like say anything to or anything like that the atmosphere is not as good as what you would in an ironman so mentally it does feel like a very um solitude race you know where you're just by yourself for for long periods of time but yeah Ironman if you do an Ironman you'll have so much experience in the fuel and the like training for it that you could do really well also I think a lot of the cyclists don't do their gym work and, and uh, strength work they like to do a lot of miles but because they don't do the gym and the strength work they're actually got quite weak cores and you see a lot of them even some of these 12-hour specialists or long-distance cyclist specialists that you see in the race they really struggle to hold their position 
Whereas uh, the triathletes, you know, they do swimming. A lot of a lot of them do gym work. So that gives you such a massive advantage to be able to hold that position for a long period of time and keep putting the power out. And Joe, you mentioned the the mental aspect, and that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you about because it's one thing to sit on the bike physically for twelve hours, um, and as even in an Ironman at, at a seventeen or a sixteen hour Ironman, you've got the distraction of thinking about okay, I have to do the swim, then I'm into T one, then I've got the bike, and then T two, and then the run. So there's a little bit of a distraction throughout your twelve to eighteen hour day. But when you're on the bike and your head starts saying to you, "Oh, you can't do this. You're slowing down, or you're not feeling great." How do you bring yourself around to just say, go away from me, the little fella on your shoulder telling you that you can't do this? How do you get rid of him? Well, first of all, you probably do a lap like every 45 to 50 minutes. So you kind of just break it up. You know, I try and break up like the out bit, you know, because if there's, if there's a little bit of wind, one way might be a headwind, one way might be a tailwind. So you try and push the headwind a little bit harder tailwind you're on the power but a little bit less and you kind of break it up a, a bit like that and then just every uh, time you go around and you get a bottle it kind of like resets you because you see some people though you don't get a chance to like really talk to them because you're flying through the aid station but that kind of helps and then other than that I mean it's similar to an Ironman like I mean every time I've had like a decent Ironman there's always been some points in the race where I've gone through dark moments like even in the races that I've won or done really well you know like I remember Ironman New Zealand um, back last March I was like six minutes ahead going into the final lap and I thought I you know this is easy I've got it and then I went for a bad patch and I started feeling rough and I was like oh god like am I going to get it like what pace am I doing you know they might catch me like even though it looked like they wouldn't they wouldn't catch me I started doubting myself and uh, thinking it and then you know same thing in Florida like I went through numerous bad patches on the bike I felt like I completely exploded at one point and just had nothing and then I kind of like recovered pushed on a bit and then on the run it was constantly like uh, ben Hoffman was catching me and I was like I've got to try and hold on hopefully he'll blow up he didn't blow up and I went for a bad patch and then I went for a good patch <laughs> and it's just I think the experience of doing all these long distance races you always go through bad patches and it's just expecting that the bad patches are going to come so it doesn't bother me if I go for a bad patch because it would be totally unrealistic to expect a long distance race to go totally to plan so you just take the highs in your stride and uh, get ready for the lows when they come and they're the bits where you've got to just push through and two things I want to talk to you following on from that is one of them, um, Lanzarote, lying in the middle of the desert after having a horrendous experience. Do you think races like that where you're at the depths of despair, can't go on, have made you stronger for races like when you need to re-strategize in the middle of a race, like in Florida, like in Kona, like in New Zealand, where things mightn't have gone to plan or they are going to plan, but you've got to make changes. Do you think the bad races or the performances that you're unhappy with made you stronger for those good performances that you now put out yeah definitely because I, I still think about that race in Lanzarote and I know at the time it really motivated me and um that that was what re that really took me to another level because it was a horrible experience and uh, I didn't want to go through it again so it really motivated me to like improve my training get better and to not have to go through an experience like that again and I still think about that race now. It wasn't actually that long ago I was out cycling. It must it was out here, I think, at some point. And I was riding along and it was like through the desert and it reminded me of bloody Lanzarote. I went to Lanzarote actually back in December for 13 days. And I thought at some point I'm going to come back to this race because it's just unfinished business. And it like it angers me to this day knowing that that race has uh, beaten me. And I really want to go back there and uh, put that to rest. So what would you consider to be a perfect race day for Joe Skipper? Um racing to like my potential getting to the end not having anything left and everything going smoothly I guess you know hitting as good a power or a little bit better than what you thought you could do on the bike getting off running your best run for me having a good swim maybe I guess making a pack on the swim where I feel like I'm working hard but I'm on the feet of uh, some people so you know I'm saving energy but I'm still working hard so I know I'm swimming well on the bike um tactically getting it right as well so riding hard good powers but obviously distancing people that I think could beat me on the run you know racing it tactically smart so I can put myself in the best position to win the race on the run and then on the run knocking out um definitely a sub 40 marathon off the back of a, of a decent um bike but yeah that would be that would probably be the, the perfect one but I guess it's just racing to your potential isn't it you know doing everything right on the day and getting your nutrition right your hydration and uh hopefully winning it you're self-coached, Joe, so you don't have a coach telling you what training to do, what plans to be doing. How do you know what's right? 
to find that perfect race day, to find those right power numbers? Well, I guess I've just got a lot of experience. You know, even when I was like 12, 13 years old, I was always coaching myself. Like when I was, uh, when I started doing triathlon back then, uh, and then I went to university, I did sports science for a couple of years, learned some stuff. And I, I've always had a keen interest in, in like coaching, like physiology and stuff like that. And, you know, since I've been doing triathlon back in 2010, I've been doing it for like 10 or 11 years. I've tried lots of different things. And I, I say this to everyone, that a coach is just someone's opinion on what you should be doing. Like a lot of people like to think that a coach is guaranteed success. It's not. It's, it is literally just someone saying, I think for you to get your best result or to, for you to improve, you should do this. That is all they're saying because there's no black and white answer in coaching. You know, you can't say that X will equal Y, you know, it might equal Y, but it might equal B or C, you know, there's, it's completely impossible to say that. And what works for one person doesn't work for someone else. So a coach could be good. It could be great for you. It could make you slower. You know, I tried a coach, didn't work for me. I got slower, but I've been doing it for years. I've tried different things and I would like to say that I've got an open mind, you know, I'm up for trying different types of training. Um, I've tried it on myself and I've just tinkered with it through each Ironman build up. And I, I feel like now I've got to the point where I know what works for me. You know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, can you? I don't know. Sean might try and teach you a few tricks out in Dubai. He mightn't be let. <laughs> but it's interesting that you say, you know, a coach will only tell you what you what you should be doing and you may get X or Y or A or B. But the other side of it from a coach perspective would it and I suppose you're self-motivated because this is your profession now but there's a lot of people out there who just like the idea of somebody telling them what to do so especially age group athletes who are busy at home at work families they just like having that structure of being told by a coach what to do so they don't have to think about it but I suppose it's different at your level where you're doing this as a profession and you have the knowledge yourself but where do you go to for advice then? Do you have a circle of people that would support you and help you if you had queries around training or, you know, where do you gather your support bubble from to help you be the best athlete that you can be? Um, that's a good question. And to be honest, like, I don't really have one person in particular who I speak to, you know, some of the guys who I train with, we might like sometimes like talk to each other about a session at the start, you know, what we do but it's normally about what we change in the session but to be honest I don't really change stuff that much and I don't really have people in particular who I who I speak to and really run that many ideas through it's normally me just uh on, on my own really yeah I guess you could say winging it <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're winging it but the other side of it as well Joe is you're doing everything on your own as well and your your social media side of things must be hard to try and keep up with everything so do your training post on social do your YouTube videos is that hard to manage and get that balance right between getting your training done keeping your sponsors happy and trying to do your social media as well to try and build that profile to gather more sponsors and to gather more support yeah, it is, uh, it is really tough. And uh, the social media is probably the, the hardest thing nowadays to do because a lot of athletes just, you know, like me included, you would like, love to just like be able to focus on your training and not have to worry at all about doing social media. But the social media aspect of it now is as big as the results. You know, if anything, it's bigger than the results because some people that have got decent social media platforms uh, don't have the results, but they'll still get the sponsors. And I know athletes that have got really good results, but they haven't got the, the social media side of it and they they don't get sponsors you know they don't get notice so it is like as big a part of the job um as the racing but luckily with like my youtube and uh some of the pictures i've, I've got quite lucky because uh my girlfriend's uh, brother lives around the corner back home so it's like a five minute walk so he's helped me do some youtube videos you know because like he can just go to some of the training sessions that i go and we film it and he's uh, got an interest in like videography and uh, stuff like that so he edits it and out here in Dubai, I've been uh, in touch with a guy called uh, Sammy, who's uh, awesome. Like he's been doing some of the YouTube videos out here. So if anyone wants to see what we're up to on YouTube, you know, uh, or what I'm up to, and uh, Sam, you can always check my YouTube, and you'll you'll see some of our training sessions. But he's been fantastic. He's came come along to some of our sessions out here, edited the videos, got us some really cool pics, and um, yeah, that's that's made a really big. Uh, helping hands but it is hard to do because sometimes when you're out on a training session the last thing you're thinking about is getting your phone out and getting a picture so you can post it on social media but you know it is easier when you're with other people because like if I'm out here and Sam's out here riding you know I can just get my phone out take a picture of him he can get his phone out take a picture of me right job done we'll post that when we get back <laughs> but when you're by yourself it makes it a lot more difficult <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of, of what drives you to success 
what is it do you think that's in you that's driving you to get out of bed in the morning every day and to follow your passion for sport and where did that passion for sport come from well the passion come from like I've always enjoyed sport like from as young as I can remember you know I've always loved doing it like any kind of sport I just absolutely love it you know I find it like really great to meet people you know it's good for social as well as like seeing you know actually the physical aspect of it so I've always loved it no matter what I did like from as young as I can remember but then what actually drives me is probably just seeing how good you can be you know just being the best athlete you can be and seeing where that will take you you know like every year I've got better but I know that I'm not at my best so like it drives you to see how far you can go and uh, see what's what's actually possible and of course if you look at your Kona results you've gone from was it 13th to 7th to 6th so are we aiming for a podium in Kona in October 2021 is it within reach 100% within reach like last year I got six and I, I punched it on the bike and I still fully believe you know, I keenly would probably disagree with me, but I believe that if I hadn't have punctured, I would have taken that podium off him. It cost me a minute and a half and I would have been starting the bike with all them because I punctured four minute, four miles from the end. But, you know, um, I mean, I might not have got the podium, but I think it would have been, a, I would have been in a great position to whatever would have happened. Me and keenly would have probably pushed each other to go faster because it's a completely different ball game when you get out of transition in 12th place because there's about a group of eight of us. And when you get out of position, in third with Alistair Brownlee, Sebastian Keenley, Lionel Sanders and everyone, thousands of people going absolutely ballistic at you saying, you're going for the podium, Jan's only three minutes ahead, you know, in first. You're like, holy shit, I could win this thing, you know, like um, I get out because I punch it just for the end and I'm out in 11th place and I can't even see anyone in front of me, you know, <laughs> like I don't even know what position I was in at that time. Do you ever feel the pressure on race day, Joe, that there's a target on your back because you have a reputation of being such a great biker that everyone's trying to get out of the swim ahead of you to try and gain a couple of minutes because they know you'll absolutely storm them on the bike and then your run is so strong as well. So do you ever feel under pressure from the other athletes or even from your own expectations going into a race of having to just work so hard to get to the top of the field? Well, I feel the pressure in every race, you know, when you go to it, like you're nervous, like, but I think that's what allows you to race well. Like if you didn't feel the nerves and you didn't have that buzz before the race, then it would just be like a training session, you know, and you're never going to set your best performances in training. So, yeah, I mean, I feel nervous absolutely every race. Like I remember going into, into New Zealand, you're nervous and it's almost like as soon as the gun goes, all that goes away and you're just completely in the zone. Um, but I, I wouldn't really say I've got a target. I feel like I've got a target on my back from the others because... The races are so competitive now that it's not just one person that could win it. You know, you turn up to an Ironman, there's eight or 10 people that can win it on their day. So there's numerous people to worry about. You know, when I was in Florida and it, me and Ben were close, there was like Starkey that could have won it. And yes, it was Venson. I think he won Challenge Roth that year. And there was like a load of others. There was like at least like 10 of us that could have won it on our day. So um, I wouldn't say I just feel it from that. But I, I guess if you've done your training anyway that the other, you know, the others can work hard on the bike, but they're going to have to work hard to hold you off. And like, that could be at the detriment to their, their own race. And then on the other side of it, Joe, as well, I mean, you are one of the best long distance triathletes in the world. Is there a pressure on you to, to be an inspiration to other athletes, to the other athletes coming up along the ranks, to the younger pro athletes that are coming through the likes of say Tom Davies and George Goodwin and some of those other younger lads that are coming through the pro ranks that they're all looking up to you. Do you ever feel under pressure that way or that you should behave in a certain way because of your status as one of the best long distance athletes in the world? Or does that even ever occur to you? No, that's never really uh, actually occurred to me until you said that. But what I would say is that they should, uh, probably look up to someone else because they might pick some bad habits <laughs> <laughs> they might also pick up some podiums yeah i'd uh no, i'd strongly uh recommend that they look to someone else so they don't pick up any bad habits <laughs> <laughs> not at all they might give they'll you get themselves they'll get themselves into trouble I don't think so I don't, I don't think so um, and it's actually a lovely side to see that you're so humble about the inspiration and the and I suppose the performances that you've put in that people would look up to you and aspire to be like you and, and it brings me to my next question you've been in the sport since 2010 really is the last 10 or 11 years you mentioned earlier um, but how has the sport changed has it changed for the better? Is it more difficult now to be a professional athlete than it was 10 years ago? Or is it easier? It's way harder to be a professional athlete now than what it was 10 years ago. 100%. Like back then, 
2009, 2010, well, 2010 was when I started, but back then there were some races in England where you could win like 1500 quid, you know, like I remember the Vaccari triathlon and there was a couple of others. That's one that sticks to my mind. You know, it's 1500 quid for the win. I think a thousand pounds for second, 500 pounds third, not massive amounts, but when you're literally living at home, you know, and you haven't got any money, 1500 quid is quite a lot of money at, at that time, you know? Um, and then as well as that, lots of them races that I mentioned to you at the start of the podcast, like the ones in Spain and France, they seem like they've dried up a bit and uh, they were awesome because when you're starting off, you can't just expect to go to an Ironman 70.3 and get on the podium. So they were great because, you know, you could fly to places like Alicante for like 60 pounds, you know, return back then. You could do a race and you could come away with over a thousand pounds, you know, and that's that was huge. But now it seems like there's just challenge races and Ironman races and Europe is especially tough. You know, you go to an Ironman 70.3, you could finish fifth place. And three of the guys in front are going for top 10 at the World 70.3 champs. And, you know, fifth place, you might get yourself 500 pounds, but you spent 300 quid on like flights and uh, another 300 quid on accommodation. You've actually lost money, yet you're racing people that are like top 10 in the world. Um, so to make that step up is incredibly tough because a lot of the guys now, they, they're working part time, but they're racing guys that are training full time. And uh, that's really hard because the guys that are racing full time have probably been training full time for like, you know, five, six, maybe even 10 years before that. So but they've got to beat them to be able to get the money and then also to get the sponsors. But if you can't beat them, you won't get the sponsors and you don't get the prize money and then you can't get the money to enable you to train full time. So I'd say now it's very tough to make that um, step up. Hopefully with the PTO, though, putting some money in some other races, it will uh, help kickstart more races so uh, people can make that jump up a lot easier. If there were athletes listening in or if there are young or age group athletes who are showing potential, what advice would you give to those athletes that want to get stronger, fitter, faster and not necessarily move up to the professional ranks, but to just be stronger, better athletes than they were before? I would say find people that push you in training, like always try and train with better people than you. I know in the past when I've improved loads, it's when I've been training with people, you know, that push you day in, day out. I think that makes a massive difference because it takes you out of your comfort zone. Also believe in yourself as well. You know, anything's possible. Like you'll get there. You've just got to be consistent and put the uh, put the time in. But yeah, definitely believe in yourself and train, surround yourself with people that are better than you and push you day to day. And even within COVID-19, uh, we were chatting to uh, to Joe Redmond during the week on our Facebook Live. And, you know, there's a lot of negativity around COVID and the situations that we're in that we're, yes, we're in level five lockdown here in Ireland and, and similar in the UK. Um, and there are races cancelled and plans are changed, but that we have to adapt within our environment that we're currently in, that it's not all rosy in the garden, but that we have to make adaptations. How do you keep a positive mindset it's hard, but um, I would say set some uh, time trials, you know, something like that. You know, it could be like a 5K, 10K run, even something completely different, like a one mile time trial and uh, try and see if you can beat your time at it, you know, set a benchmark for it and then try and set yourself a training plan for six weeks. You can easily do it. Um, if you've got some people that live locally that do it, you can always do like set a Strava segment up or something like that on a local course and you can all do it. So you can still abide by like social distance and rules, but you could uh, all do it on the same day, you know, if you wanted to like that. And um, it, it offers like a different challenge. It's free. It doesn't cost anything and you can do it in your local area. It could even be a hill climb, you know, like if you've got like a big hill that you want to do, you can set a target on Strava on a segment and then you can set a training plan and see if you can like beat it, you know, so you can always do little stuff like that. And, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be a massive race to, to motivate you. It can be something small, but like you can do a couple of small steps like that. And then hopefully it will take you to May, June time at the late or not even that late, you know, April, May. And then we should get a bigger picture of what races are definitely on. You know, if they can keep pumping out the vaccine, then hopefully by like June, July, the races races might be going on all the time then they might not but like at least if you pick some smaller goals like that you'll keep consistent with your training and you'll be in a much better place come may if the races do happen than if you get demotivated and sit at home on the couch and you'll, you'll never be happy if you're sat at home on the couch you know you kind of just be like wallowing in your own self-pity whereas if you set some goals you can find some some of your mates some of your training partners you can say hey like why don't we try and see if we can go under 10 minutes on this climb and like have a crack and then to do set a training plan amongst yourselves and do it again in four weeks time. I really love the idea of the Strava segment. 
I think I'm going to bring that back to our tri club. I think that's a really good idea of uh, of the Strava segment, just the one mile or the one and a half mile or whatever it is that you, that you want to do. I really like that idea. Looking back at your career to date, and we still haven't seen uh, the top end of your career. I think there's a lot more to come from you in years to come. But looking back at the highlights of your career to date, what are the moments that stand out for you that have been the biggest moments in your life? Top 10 at Kona, definitely. Like that was a massive one because that's kind of like a big breakthrough result. You know, loads of people go to Kona and they want a top 10. So to do that after the previous time when I was there and I had an absolute shocker, that was a massive uh, confidence booster, you know, and I thought, well, once you've done it once, like you can always go for like a top five the following time or something like that. You know, it kind of puts you there that you've done top 10, you've ticked the box and you can go for something else. Another one would be Ironman Texas. It was near the start and it was at the time it was like my first big breakthrough result and it was like amazing to finally do that in a big race. So that would have to be another one. And then probably Ironman Florida, you know, ben, against Ben Hoffman, the battle we had, like he beat me in Kona three weeks before. He finished fourth, narrowly missed out on the podium, had an awesome run in Kona. I think he did like 244. It was literally like 15 seconds slower than Jan, run up through the field and uh, made us all look silly. So to race him uh, three weeks later in Florida, I got off the bike, I think, with a six, seven minute lead on him. Um, he ran a 236 marathon. I needed a 239. I only just hold on to beat him. You know, like you wouldn't expect to run a 236 marathon and finish runner up. And it was like, it was one of them races where you didn't know if you were going to hold on or not, you know, and so it felt like you were like full on until the line. It was, it was an awesome race, you know, just flat out from the start. Speaking of um, highlights to date, what are the plans for racing in 2021 when we get back to racing? Um, well, first of all, is to try and break Jan Fredino's world record at Ironman Texas, 7.35. That's what I want to try and do. So I'm going for that. That's the first That's the first big one. I did 7.46 in Florida. And anyone that knows that knows the transitions in Florida are huge. Like, I think looking at what Texas transitions are like, that's three or four minutes easily there. I think the Texas course is probably faster than Florida, at least the same anyway. Yeah, I want to have a crack and see if I can do it. And there's going to be some strong guys that are going to Texas. So I think, you know, like, let's see if we can do it. I think if we don't get really hot and humid conditions, the record's definitely on. And I'll certainly be going out there to, to break the record and win the race. Will you try and go back to um, your TT record and try and break that again in 2021? Hopefully not, because I'd much prefer to be doing Ironman racing. But if COVID's still here and the races are cancelled, then I definitely will. <laughs> and what about Kona? Oh, top three in Kona. That would be the goal. That would be a big step up from getting sixth place. So yeah, top three in coat. Like if I made the podium in Kona, I'd be amazed. I'd be like not amazed, but like I'd be really happy with that. You know, that would be because then it would mean that I could then go back the following year with a realistic chance of saying, right, I'm going to go there to win now. But you need to get the podium first. You know, it's all about taking little steps up. You know, I've been seventh, I've been sixth. If, if I can get like a top three, then you know it kind of cements you as like a potential contender for the win. You know. And I always think, like, I heard Cam Worth say something before, whereas, like, if you want to uh, win Kona, you've got to be able to win it on a bad day. And I think it's the same when you think about it with, like, a Kona podium. It's like, to make the podium, you've got to be capable of making the podium on a bad day. And I think when I got sixth place last time, I was sixth place on a bad day. You know, I punched it. I didn't feel good on the bike, but I was fit. And that sixth place was a bad day performance. A good day performance last time might have been top three, but you need to be good enough to get that performance when stuff doesn't go right. You know, it needs stuff and deans to not go your way. You might feel a bit ropey, but you can still knock out a third place. So, you know, I'll go in there this year and I'll be aiming to get a third place and to be able to do that on a not that great a day. And if you could go back and do anything differently over the past 10 years, um, what would you do? Oh, my God, a lot. Like I've learned so much um, in the last 10 years with regards to training, nutrition on the race day, the way I train now. If I could go back 10 years and just apply what I do now with my training my nutrition and everything oh god I would have been so much better than what I am now like there's just so many things like to, to name but yeah they're just a few did you ever think when you started out now I know you had a great start in the sport but did you ever think that you would be where you are now god I I, I guess not really you know and I, I never really thought where I'd be in 10 years I was always at the time taking it like one year at a time and thinking, you know, I've achieved this this year, next year I want to do this. And it was always like looking at next year and how I can be better next year and kind of living in the moment. I never really thought where I wanted to be or what would happen in 10 years time because I was always just trying to 
get to the next year and see if I could like win this race or make the podium in that race. And, you know, it was just, yeah, always looking in a 12 month cycle rather than like thinking, oh, I wonder where I'll be in 10 years. And if you weren't a pro triathlete, what do you think would you be doing? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? You know, when I, when I wanted to grow up, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a professional athlete. That was what really motivated me. I didn't really know what sport. I just loved sport and I just wanted to be a professional athlete. Like there was nothing else that I really saw myself doing. I, I've always never really known what I wanted to do. And I kind of got into triathlon and I was like, I really like this. This is really cool. Like I want to do that. But I have absolutely no idea what I'd be doing if I wasn't a triathlete. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have a very special question that Nikki Bartlett um, started back in, I think it was in lockdown last year at some point. If you were to be a superhero, which one of the superheroes would you be? Um, oh, God. <laughs> I don't That's really the know. most difficult question you've been asked in the last two years. Question, that is the most difficult question I've been asked. That is, um, what Conor do you reckon McGregor. I'd be, Sam? Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor. He's not a superhero. Oh, hey, Sean, <laughs> he's not a superhero. Who would it? Superman, so you could fly, so you wouldn't be late all the time. Ego. Sam said I'd be Superman, so I could fly, and I wouldn't be late all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and Sean is Sean is laughing away here on the other side of the call as well. Sean, back <laughs> me up. You you know, Sean, that I'm never late, am I? <laughs> And everyone's laughing in the background. And just so that our listeners know, we do have um, Sam and Hannah in the background listening into Joe's live interview. So just in case you're wondering what the, the laughing and the joking is in the background. Joe, quickly, before you go on to the next thing, have you heard about uh, the first time Sean was meant to meet us uh, out here? He no. was meant to meet uh, at 10.30, I think, in Al-Kudra or 10 o'clock. And I overslept because of uh, jet lag and I didn't wake up until 12 o'clock and he was waiting for me at Al-Kudra. <laughs> I bet you Sean wasn't happy. I told him I woke up because of the jet lag and I said, yeah, come a bit earlier. I'm ready to go. He came. I fell asleep in the meantime and he ended up knocking on the door and I was in bed and he said, Joe, Joe. I said, yeah. And he goes, oh, you bloody fell asleep, didn't you? I said, oh, sorry, mate. Like, I completely that, forgot. Joanna, <laughs> that, was my, that was my first time meeting him. I walked into the apartment. I didn't know what room he was in. Sam was in one room and he was in another. Knocked on the door and I was lucky. It was Joe's room. Um, have you ever overslept for, for a race, Joe? Yeah, I have once for the Vitruvian race. I was just so tired. My alarm went and I didn't like, it was like when you just, your alarm goes and you just sleep through. And then uh, Laura woke me up and she said, oh, I think you need to get up for the race. I looked at the time. Holy shit. I said, I'm supposed to race. In, I'm supposed to start in like 20 minutes. So I had to quickly get my stuff together, get down for the race. He ended up putting me into the last wave. It was dreadful conditions. It was in September. It was pissing it down. It was about six degrees. And then to make matters worse, I ended up puncturing on the bike after like one lap as well being stuck in like the rain freezing cold like so i'd miss my start punch it and then had to drive back um joe you seem to have an issue with punctures uh well i had an issue with punctures but i've uh, been all right luckily the last like year and a half but you know what it seems like i've had an issue with punctures because i've had a couple in some big races but for about the first six years i was racing like it must have been until about 2017 from 2010 i hadn't had one puncher in a race um and then I had a couple in short succession, but I haven't had any. But I think it was like 2017, 18, I had a few punches in some big races. But um, yeah, it's, I think it's just really unfortunate moment because I'm using like decent tyres, GP 5000s, sealant in there. So, you know, they're not like pushing the envelope with some of the Vittoria tyres that you can get, which are like wafer thin. So it is really uh, unfortunate, to be honest. And um, a funny story. I actually slept in for a race as well. <laughs> Except I was meant to be working. Uh, Ironman 70.3 Dunleary, I think it was 2018. Um, I had my alarm clock set for four o'clock. I had so my two phones set. I had the hotel phone set. I was telling the story the other day on another show, and my mum was sharing the room with me. So she had her alarm clock set for six o'clock in the morning. But at four o'clock, no alarm went off. And the next thing I heard this noise going, ding, 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 ding. and I was like, what is that weird noise? And mum says, What are you still doing in bed at six o'clock? Well, I never jumped out of the bed as quick in my life. I ended up actually making it on time, but I was 40 minutes late to start the whole announcing on the day of the race. So arriving down to the start line, trying to put on the music and trying to get my shit together, basically. Mum thought I was going to have a heart attack. But the funniest thing was we all thought I could get away with it, except that I had the mark of the duvet on my face. 
Oh. I had jumped out of the bed so quickly and slept so soundly. I had the mark of the duvet, but uh, it's uh, it's not a pleasant experience. So I can't imagine what it was like turning up late to a race. Okay, so I have a couple of audience questions I want to go to very, very quickly. I'm conscious of the time and we've been chatting and joking for ages. First one from Hugh Faircloth, fantastic photographer for Iron Man. Question for Joe. Will he be returning to Wales to race after his DQ in the last race there? Yeah, I would. Well, I would love to go to Wales, but the only problem with Wales is it's just so close to Kona. And last time when I raced Wales, um, it took it out of me in Kona. You know, I didn't feel great in Kona last time when I was there. And I think it wasn't if if Kona was in Europe, you know, say like the World Champs was in Spain and it was the same date as when Kona is. I think I would have got away with it because I have raced Ironmans two weeks up, one after, you know, like two weeks later. And I felt fantastic. But the problem with Wales is you, you race in Wales. And then you've got the travel to like the other side of the world for Kona. And like, ideally you want to go out there four weeks beforehand. And then so you can get used to training in the heat and, uh, you know, finish your preparation out there. And I think the stress of recovering from an Ironman, uh, traveling to the other side of the world and putting yourself in a time zone where there's 11 hours time difference is just too much. And if you race Wales, you don't have the legs, what you have in Kona, you know, it's happened to Cam Worth's done it. He raced Italy and then went over to Kona and he said the same thing. That year, I think if you race an Ironman in September, you you won't perform to your best abilities in October. So I'd love to go to Wales, but while I'm racing in Kona in October, it's just not really possible if I want to do a good race out there. So we need you to go to Kona, win it, defend your title a couple of times, get bored with Kona and then come back to Wales and win Wales. I'll happily do it if that happens, if that plays out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Louise O'Reilly from Port Marnock says, in his early career as a pro, you had a few setbacks in 2012, 13 and into the start of 2014. You missed a race from losing your passport. You had punctures and penalties in Florida, nearly having to quit triathlon in 2013 with no sponsorship. And then the blow up in Lanza in 2014. The question she has is, how did you mentally get yourself from lying on the ground in the desert in Lanza back up to keep going at it and eventually qualify for Kona, would you consider yourself as a resilient person? Because a lot of people would simply give up. Well, the one when it happened in Lanza, I had been training okay from that. But then after that, it did. I did question some other stuff and I ended up meeting with uh, a guy who's a local legend from like near where we live, Paul Evans. He'd actually like won the Chicago Marathon before. So me and my friend ended up contacting Paul Evans and said, Hey Paul, like, will you give us some training tips for the, uh, for the marathon? You know, like what do we need to do to run better? Because up until that point I was strong on the cycle, but I, I never really run that fast in an Ironman. You know, I think I was like 250 something was my best. So I met up with Paul. He gave us some like training tips. He's a really like hard working person. You know, he didn't get into running until he was 26, made two Olympic games for the 10 K and run 27 minutes as well as a 207 marathon, you know, but like obviously didn't get into it until he was 26 years old. So you can see, you can get the idea of what kind of person he was. Plus he worked in a factory and was running three times a day uh, to get to that standard for the first while. So he's resilient, you know, and uh, a true hard worker. So we met him. He gave us some great training tips and me and my friend Lee, we went away, we did it. And then the next year was when um, 2015, I ended up getting the fastest run split in the IT World Long Distance Champs, 30K. I think I averaged 340, maybe 330, something per kilometre for 30Ks, you know, and uh, I did some other races that year and was up there on the run, you know, putting in some fast runs. And a lot of that, I credit that from the bad race at Lanza, questioning what I did and looking to other people, you know, to get some advice. So I don't think that would have happened had I done that. And then going back to being resilient, I would say, yeah, I think I am resilient. But then I think anyone that does Ironman is pretty resilient because you're going to expect races to go bad. You know, it's an eight and nine hour endurance race that requires like numerous different things to go right. You know, you haven't just got your your training. You've got to have your mechanics. You know, like you said, like I had a puncher, but you can get anyone could get like a chain snap on the bike. You know, you mean you could put a new chain on, but it could happen. I punctured in a few races, but I've put new tires on for nearly every Ironman I've done. You know, they've been used like two two or three times before the race, you know. That can happen to that could happen to other people. You've got your hydration, you know, if it's a hot day and you, you don't drink enough, you can cramp or you can like dehydrate and you don't finish the race. Same with you you you're getting your carbohydrates in. If you don't eat too much, you can bonk. If you eat too much, you can get gastro problems. So everyone that does Ironman has got to be resilient because there's so many different things that can go wrong. And you're only one race away from a bad race, but you're only one race away from your best ever race. 
I love that. You're only one race away from a bad race, but you're also only one race away from your best ever race. I think you should put that on a (laughs) T-shirt. Derek Gallagher from Galway asks, is your incredible endurance innate or does it come from another sport pre-triathlon? And how much high intensity training do you include in your weekly training? Um, Well, I think the endurance just comes like it doesn't come from another sport, but it just comes from years of doing it. You know, I've been doing like Ironman now for like 11 years. It's a long period of time, you know that's just Ironman that's not even like triathlon you know so it's like a third of my life I've been doing Ironman or over a third and then if you take cycling into account half my life I've been training for like long endurance races so you know um, it's just years of consistent training doing big hours I do quite a lot of high intensity in my training Um, I mean I don't know if you'd class like tempo training as high intensity I do quite a bit of that that's like under threshold but then I'd probably do two or three via like vo2 max sessions a week across the disciplines one in the swim one the bike and one the run uh tempo training i do in like the bike i tend to do more on the bike uh than the run but i'd still do another session of that and i'd say that's high intensity was higher intensity than an ironman it's probably 70.3 power or above i do a tempo run which would be at 70.3 like pace or above uh vo2 max is obviously like 5k running pace so quite a lot of um high intensity training but you know i think to to get to your potential at ironman you need to do the high intensity because if you don't even push your threshold up and get that higher then uh you're just not going to get any faster and then your ironman pace is going to plateau and stay the same do you naturally tend to pick the bike up as your preferred training session if you had a choice on a particular day would you naturally pick the bike or would you work on your swim or your run definitely wouldn't be the swim uh <laughs> i naturally would go to the bike or the run just because i find them more sociable you know you can get out you can talk to other people you know you can go for an easy ride you can be chatting to someone the whole time can't you whereas when you're going for a swim you've got your head in the water you know you might be able to talk to them before the start but then you don't talk to them at the end but i also love running as well i love the simplicity of the run you know you just put your pair of trainers on off you go you know you can go on some trails and that's awesome i just i love the biking and the running to be honest either one would be my chosen one um cycling on a nice sunny day with a cafe stop I mean you can't beat it can you well you have the perfect place to be doing it right now in Dubai and speaking of Dubai Chris Maguire says when are you coming home all the training posts are making him weep (laughs) um well depending on the lockdown restrictions uh we'll probably be we'll have to come down then because uh we're on the red list now uh, from the UK so we kind of need to see how it goes with that but ideally it would be around mid middle of march time um we we were talking about coming back because we had booked it for the first week of february's come back but um after um the previous lockdown when we went and swam in lanzarote we we all made like some really big gains and we come back and it was in tier four after no time and after about five days or six days of not not swimming you're back to square one so we kind of thought once we came out here you, you make the decision to you're in it for the long haul you know you need to because there's no point coming back and then not swimming for two weeks because you'll be back to square one. So we kind of need to stay out here until till it calms down and until we can train properly back home. Mark Halliwell in Toome in County Galway says, how long of a career does Joe see himself performing at the top level? At what stage does he see himself retiring? And what would you do after that? Would you consider coaching? Um, well, how long I could keep going for would just depend on the results, really. Like if I'm getting results and I'm enjoying it, then I'll I'll carry on. But I'll just take it like year on year, you know. I wouldn't want to do it if I wasn't getting the results. But I also wouldn't want to do it if I was getting the results but wasn't enjoying it, you know, because life's too short to do stuff that you don't like. With regards to what I do after I finish, uh, coaching could be an option. Um, you know, I, I do like coaching people, but I like coaching people if I was to do it, you know, in real in real life, you know, like actually being there, seeing them do it and coaching a session like uh, person to person rather than like sending someone a plan. Like, but I don't really know. I'm just like so focused on like where I am at the moment that I haven't really thought about what I'll do afterwards, you know, because I think if you start worrying about what you're going to do afterwards, your head's not in the right place in the, in the present. Margaret Kelly asks, where did you learn to cook? And is Sean McFadden better at making pancakes? She has suggested maybe a cook off on one of Joe's YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah, I would um, cook all the time back home. I know uh, Sean would find that hard to believe because he thinks that I just live on delivery. Um, <laughs> but I do actually cook a lot at home. But with pancakes, I would definitely say that Sean is better than me at pancakes. His pancakes are incredible. Like they're like restaurant quality, like the texture and everything. He's got that down to a T. <laughs> And then Sean McFadden actually had a question as well for you, Joe. He was afraid to ask you himself. He want, Not going to ask the goal 555, is he? Like- he actually did ask me to ask you um, to officially invite you to come over to Donegal to the 555. <laughs> so are you going to come to Donegal? 
I'll definitely race the Donegal 555 at some point. Like, I don't know when, but I will definitely do it. I want to see what it's all about. <laughs> well, I can confirm it's absolutely unreal. It's a great race. Uh, I did it as a four-person. Sean's trying to convince me to do it as a solo, but I'm going to leave that to my teammate, Karen yeah. Cassidy. If you can get uh, Brian McChrystal there, I'd love to dust him off in that. Like, uh, you know, you in his own You country. weren't saying that oh. an hour ago. Me? Yeah. Yeah, I'll dust him off in his own uh, country. I'd love that. I'd love nothing more than, uh, than uh, seeing what he's got over I- in Ireland. I think the challenge has been laid down. McFadden is going to have to get onto McChrystal. He's he a is... big unit, and there's some big hills in Ireland, and he's got to fuel himself. He's got to take a lot of carbohydrates in to get that big unit round that five five five. And I don't. He know is well that. able. He is well. I will defend Brian McChrystal to the last. He is well able. Now, <laughs> before we finish, before we finish, a serious question: Who or what have been the biggest influences in your life? Um. Oh God. Um. Probably my mum and dad, because they've always, like, encouraged me to carry on, like, doing triathlon and, you know, to keep going, like, in the points where I wasn't going to carry on. When I was, like, well, seriously questioning when I was doing it, they always, like, motivated me and said, no, you know, you'll always regret it if you don't do it. So probably them, to be honest. Joe Skipper, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you this afternoon. We have had Sean McFadden on the call on Zoom as well from his uh, pad in Dubai. Our man on the ground in Dubai has been tuning in live to the interview. And then we have had Hannah and Sam as well. But thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to call you down the finish line of an Ironman as a champion once again, hopefully in the not so distant future. Cheers. Thanks very much. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. That's try with an I, not a Y. I'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find me across all the social platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Pop by and say hi and let me know what you think of the show. If you are new to Try Talking Sport, please do check out some of our previous episodes. Our guests are amazing. You will be inspired and impressed by them all. Until next time, stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day.